80% of Americans found something they can all agree on. America is falling apart. How did we get here and how do we get out of it? Newsflash, media plays a central role in both. Check out our new podcast, Media Roundtable. We'll talk to media moguls, top hosts on both sides of the aisle, and the people who pay for it all, the sponsors. Media Roundtable is not just a podcast. It's a movement to restore trust and civility to the national conversation, and we need you to be a part of it. Look for Media Roundtable wherever you get your shows and subscribe now. Well, if you've ever said you're going to go with your gut, it's not just a saying. Your gut really is connected to your brain. And signals pass back and forth, of course, between our body and our brain. It's where feelings come from. Unfortunately, 74% of Americans are suffering from digestive problems. They have symptoms like gas, bloating, pain. It's a sign that your microbiome may be out of balance, and perhaps that might be affecting the gut-brain connection. This may be bad news because there are some theories that suggest that the gut issues may affect mood and happiness. 90% of your serotonin is created in the gut after all. If your gut bacteria is out of balance, it could disrupt normal production and cycling of serotonin. Good news, though, if you rebalance your gut microbiome, you may start to feel better. Uh, even better, this doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. You can change your gut microbiome and start feeling better in as little as 72 hours. Our friends at Bioptimizers have developed an exciting new formula that combines cutting-edge nutrition that you would normally find in two separate products. This breakthrough formula combines powerful probiotics and prebiotics. That's right, you need a prebiotic for the probiotic to work on. Restores balance in the colon and small bowel. Plus 17 nootropic and adaptogenic brain herbs in hopes of enhancing mood, hopefully managing stress, and perhaps even improving memory. It's an all-in-one formula, Cognibiotics. And it's the perfect solution for supporting your gut microbiome. Brain health, mental health as well. Oh, and here's the best part. Cognibiotics comes with a full one-year guarantee. So I encourage you to try it risk-free and see if it works for you. Go to Cognibiotics.com slash Drew and use Dr. Drew 10 to receive 10% off any order. That's Cognibiotics, C-O-G-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-S dot com slash Drew. Hey, everybody, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Thanks so much, and uh, of course, support the people that support us here. Do do a favor, and don't forget to check out After Dark and also drdrew.tv. If you go to drdrew.tv, we'll send you a blast when we send uh, go out on streams, which we do most days. Um, check it all out at drdrew.com. My guest is Dr. Regine Maradian. Her new books, or children books, which were written during the pandemic, Frankie and the Worry Bees and Frankie and His Homeschool Adventures, available now on Amazon. They've been out uh, as of this month. Uh, you can follow Dr. Maradian at Regine, R-E-G-I-N-E, Psy-D, P-S-Y-D. So it's one word, at Regine, Psy-D. Also Instagram, Dr. underscore Regine underscore Maradian. And her website is Regine Maradian. Maradian is spelled M-U-R-A-D-I-A-N. Dr. Maradian, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, you were also starting to tell me about another organization you had founded, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have you describe this to us. Tell us about it. Yes. Uh, so we're actually a, a group of uh, independent, we're an independent group of professional uh, professionals who came up with Team Project Rise. It's a uh, legislation, a proposal we are actually proposing for legislation under a COVID relief bill. Um, right now, our website is live. We're so excited. As of yesterday, it's called teamprojectrise.com. And, team, uh, T-E-A-M? T-E-A-M. Okay. 
Project P-R-O. So Project and then Rise, R-I-S-E. And really, this comes from what we're going to be talking about today, which we feel that just as teachers get diversity training, sexual harassment training at the beginning of the school year, they're really going to need mental health training on how to deal with the post-COVID stressors these kids are coming back in the classroom with. Yeah. And, yeah. Keep going. I, I, I just I react to it emotionally because it's just like, yes. ugh, I've, been, I've seen this coming for a year, but keep going. Yes. yes. Um, I've been seeing this also of just, you know, I'm a mom of three. Uh, you know, I talk to my kids all the time about going back. They're transitioning back slowly, but I'm already seeing the fatigue and the low motivation. And uh, I'm, I'm going to suspect some post-traumatic stress. One thing that came to my mind was, you know, as they go back in these cohorts you know, uh, just imagine teachers telling them, don't get close to each other, uh, stay away. Yeah. They said, uh, and the lack of socialization over this last, uh, year, what, this, how this has really impacted them emotionally. So, so how, have- how do we, let's talk about that sort of, uh, let's just start with there's many, many, many things to, to think about here. But one of the things I started thinking about, cause I, I was very distressed by these very issues you're talking about, which the the socio-emotional development, the lack of contact. But but then I started thinking, well, I mean, back through human history, families would live in little isolated units. I guess they would have tribal contact at least. But there certainly are long periods of history where children were relatively isolated. Just read Little House on the Prairie. I mean, you get, get a sense of this country having had stuff like that. Is are we overthinking this? Is it is it something that kids are more resilient, or or is it likely to have sort of a lasting effect? I, I can't I can't figure it out in my own mind. Yeah, I think because COVID is so unknown, and we just we're not really going back into a normal classroom setting, right? right. I'm seeing, I'm sure you've seen this online. I've certainly seen it. The oh, shield. It's ridiculous. Um, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Teachers. There 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 are I. There are groups of physicians now trying to go around and get states to open up completely because there just is no evidence that this stuff is important, but whatever. Um, and it's certainly damaging to kids. And, and I understand – I'm sympathetic to teachers, by the way. We've scared the shit out of them. Of course they don't. They don't know whether to believe the state, the county, the school board, their union. It, everybody has a different set of uh, bureaucratic standards and opinions, and it's all BS. And so, of course, they're confused and scared, and we've had panic porn going on in the press since this time last year. What do we do to – well, this isn't really your area, but I, I'm trying to figure out what we do to get teachers back. Uh, I, I think I'm I'm reasonably secure saying it's okay to vaccinate everybody. Let's get that done. Let's just get it done. You're you're in Northern California, right? I'm seeing that we, we're looking at each other through Zoom, and you have a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge behind you. Is that because that's where you are? No, that's wishful thinking. Oh, okay. Favorite places. Uh, no, I'm in Southern California. Okay. I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, sometimes I have the beach. You know, this is how my this is what my clients see in the background. Oh, uh, got it. I see. This yeah, is when we do our mindfulness. I'll, I'll think of the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so I've just was wondering if Northern California is as crazy as it is down here. Are you in a school district where things are nutty, or are things sort of a little more so, sane? Well, you know, my, my kids are in private, but I have, I, I'm seeing all, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have clients who are in the public school system. Uh, so we're hearing, it's interesting. I'm, I'm seeing the private schools going back slowly, slowly. They're doing things like conditioning and bringing them back on campus once a week. 
Guay, I want to go back to what you said with the resiliency. You know, I think if they were going back normally, let's say everything was kind of intact and we were going back in cohorts of 10 with, you know, okay, with masks, but none of the shield stuff going on and just a little bit of normal. I think that kids will bounce back. Yes, they will have a hard time. Look, I remember back in March, that's why Frankie and the Worry Bees was born because I had a really hard time the first month as a clinician connecting on Zoom. Sure. Clients were scared. They were like, this is weird. Uh, I want to be back in session with you face to face. So that took certainly an adjustment. And then, you know, they got adjusted. Now, as honestly, right now, what I'm focusing on and a lot of the sessions are focusing on getting you back and how does that feel and Mm. really working through those symptoms that people are experiencing as a result of just the idea of going back. But I think it's what you said is the fear. There's a lot of fear here um, that they're experiencing. And and it's, but it's so artificial. It's generated by the press. I, I, this is the thing that I was fighting against at the beginning of the pandemic that has now had its sinister effect on everyone, which is we've had a pandemic. They're awful. It's nasty. You know, people die in pandemics. That's what happens. Thank God this is a pandemic that essentially left young people essentially untouched. But we told them they're going to die and their family's going to die any second. On the, out, the outside world is death. I, I don't know how they ever an eight-year-old ever recovers from that. Well, and I, and I think you bring up an important point is the conversations we as families have at home and what kids are seeing. Um, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to conversations we're having because this is the only thing I'm seeing personally is, you know, my kids will say, well, can I hang out with so-and-so? How can I go back to school with 10 kids, but you're not letting me hang out with three friends, right. for example? It's all silly. Yeah, but go ahead. Why not? What do you tell them? So, I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? And, and how do we control that, you know, them staying apart? Like, okay, you can go hang out with your three friends, but please do it outside at the park or et cetera. Right. right. I, I hear, and I think that's where we're, that's the dichotomy I hear from a lot of parents is the, the confusion that mm-hmm. you bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. It's, it's yeah, mixed because, up. because it's all built on nothing. I mean, no physician, the CDC, Fauci, no physician ever said close schools. That was never a recommendation, ever. And I sat here in Los Angeles and talked, talked to a school board member. The day they decided to do this, it was on television. I said, who, who made this decision? Who told you to do this? We think it's the right thing to do. Who, who are you? A bunch of school board members making a gigantic medical decision with profound mental health, profound socio-developmental effects. What do you do? It's uh, we're bringing the ship, the Navy hospital ship in. There's going to be you know, mass. The word I have a word from Mayor Garcetti. He used a word that just is when you look at it now, you just think, oh my god, what an idiot! I, I got to actually pull the quote out because I, I kept it on my phone. I took a picture of the of the. Uh, I hope it's in here of the actual um, article. Essentially, eh, oh, I know where it is. He said, uh, you know, mass deaths in the street or something. It was just beyond. But you know that that. And now they're trying to undo it without taking medical guidance. The CDC has been very clear. It's safe. Open up. Why aren't we doing that? Right? And wouldn't that have massive improvement on the uh, well-being of young people? 
and you know, and I've, I've spoken with a lot of teachers, parents, kids, and the, I actually did a survey yesterday, just a brief little survey before we came on. And I think it was like 50, 63%, I can't remember the number right now, of parents saying, yes, I want my kid in, back in school. And you're going to have parents who are, are not going to, to want that. And I think that's, again- Well, I'd be interested people. in drilling into the ones that don't want it, like because I'm imagining- They've been indoctrinated. They've been, uh, you know, made paranoid, made fearful, by, by panic porn. And, and, and I think also uh, parents who, well, also if there's elderly living in the home, or this fear of, you know, not necessarily fear of the kids getting something, but the kids getting something and then passing on to someone who's immunocompromised or, um, and who may, you know, again, going and, back and by to, the way, if there's a real risk of that, if there's legitimate risk of that. The CDC would have told us what what the CD has told us is your child is more likely to bring something home from the community than from school. That's the fact. So why won't they let them go to school? Too much. It's too much because they don't know what to believe anymore because they've been told so many horrible lies and distortions. And uh, yeah, they, they've reaped what they've sown. So anyway, let's talk about let, but let's talk about the developmental. I'm still looking for that article. I, I've got to read the headline because it was just too much to be believed. Um, it's from like March or April of last year. I just kept it on my phone. But yeah, anyway. I've got it here. the The title, the the headline of the article is "Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti Warns of Mass Death, Mass Condemns death. False Hope, there it and is. Tells Us His City Will Be on Lockdown for Another Two Months and to Be Prepared for Longer," which is yeah, mass death from March, mass deaths, two months, mass deaths, Mayor. You think that you don't think an eight year old hears that and freaks the hell out? Uh, talk about PTSD. Uh, I mean. <laughs> This is like well, this is I, saying a nuclear bomb is going to go off in your community. There'll be deep people mass. When you think of mass, you're thinking of just just thousands and hundreds of thousands of people dying everywhere. Anyway, but but so how do we how do we help kids? Uh, what should we be? Uh, well, what's the age group you're most concerned about? Let's put it that way. Well, oh gosh, I you know I, I want to say. The youngest, I mean, let's let's just kinder through twelve. I mean, yeah. I mean, they are, this whole. I, I think they're all impacted in their own way. I'm I'm going to say this. I've I've seen the little ones. When I say little ones, elementary school kids more panicky and scared than the teens. I think right. the teens are are just thinking that you know they understand the safety component. But I think I just heard yesterday someone mentioning. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're we're staying at this safe distance, which is important. I get that. But don't they know that we're hanging out on the weekend? Right, right. Um, and I think that with kids, when there's when things are not consistent and structured, right. they become all confused and they can't follow any rules or any guidance. Well, adolescents, you're talking about adolescents or children? Adolescents. Yeah, adolescents. Well, not enough following rules. They don't, you, you lie to them once, that's it. You've lost them. And so they see this all as, as hypocritical lying. And they're right. They're absolutely correct. So I, you, it makes me wonder, hmm, how's that group going to go forward in the world? Not able to believe authority or to, you know, well, maybe a good thing. They would certainly, I've noticed, I have noticed, I've talked to a bunch of 15, 17-year-olds who understand the press is absolutely something they cannot trust. And they're trying to figure out what is real, what isn't. I, I don't, the, the ones I talked to are actually doing a pretty good job of figuring it out. The ones I worry about are the ones that go to social media and start going down rabbit holes. And just reading too much and, and making their own assumptions. I think teens also, they make a lot of assumptions in what they read and et cetera. Interesting. 
Yeah, the group I, I the most distress I've seen is from eight to fifteen. I would say that's the 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 younger adolescents and the older children. A lot of distress, and, and I think we're going to see PTSD in, in those groups. Absolutely. And what about the kids? I'm thinking who already had prior presentations of anxiety. Oh, forget now. it. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. Imagine the hypochondriacs and and how that's going to just uh, we're going to see an influx in that. And that's the premise of oh. Franken's worry bees is. I was noticing so many negative thoughts that were just peeking through and they were, I mean, they were just the, the fear, right. was just so elevated. And the whole thing with my book was all about, you know, really helping kids, you know, say the negative thoughts, write them down, but there's also a positive side to that. So you don't get immersed and stuck in the negative. Um, it's so easy for us to get stuck in the negative, read the negative, but how do we really get ourselves out of it? And, for kids to really conceptualize and make their own decisions at that time. So if they're in a classroom, look, I'm going to give an example. You have a hypochondria, you have an anxious child, maybe with a generalized anxiety, right? Or mm. social anxiety. Mm. Actually, this is a new thing I'm seeing now. Social w- more social anxiety. More social yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Um, and the fear of getting, imagine, you know, they're going to be at recess. Are they going to be able to play recess and basketball and dodgeball like they used well, to? Well, let's think about it. Social anxiety makes sense on two fronts. A, every social interaction is going to kill me, right, is a source of death uh, or di- killing, or I'm going to kill my grandmother because I had social interaction. And two, I don't know how to do it anymore or I never knew how to do it in the first place and now I haven't had any opportunity to develop it. So, yeah, imagine social anxiety. And so that's where I think we're going to be seeing the regression. So this is this is part of why we're so, um, you know, this this whole team project rise, how it came to, to birth, to be birthed was I'm concerned about these kids reentering and teachers are going to be to me like the first responders yeah. because you're going to be my kid all day long. Yeah. So you see my kid is stressed out. Look, I'm seeing it on Zoom right now. Hey, turn on your camera. Hey, you're not paying attention. Well, some teachers are really great at, you know, checking in and saying, are you okay? Mm. Uh, you know, I, know I have 30 kids in my class right now, but sending me a little message, are you okay? What do you need? But some are just so overwhelmed. I think teachers, again, I have a lot of empathy for them. I know how hard this has been for them. Um, and they're just trying to do their job and get these kids through. But I think mental health right now is number one, should be number one in terms of training and where we see it. So I see all the COVID safety stuff. Yes, that needs to be in place. They need to do what they have to do. But I'm not hearing anything about mental health. Right. So how are we going to deal with this influx that's going to come through? I was just telling a friend of mine who's also an assessor. She does testing. I said, oh, wait, we are going to be getting very busy. I'm just, we are going to be seeing a lot of learning issues because I think this whole year, my husband was even saying, I think kids need to redo this whole year. I think this year was lost in terms of regression. Well, some of the schools have said that and uh, parents get angry at that, you know, but, but I think it might be the right thing to do. Uh, Certainly look for LA Unified School District, 30% of the kids have not been in school, 30%. And for, and you're talking about mental health issues. You're talking about, you know, in schools where there is somewhat of a luxury of, uh, parents that are involved and students that would come forward and teachers that uh, do have the capacity to pay attention to the mental health issues. What is it? Crenshaw is 60% of the student body there is foster care. You think those kids are going to be okay after this? 
uh, did you see the child who was, uh, I had seen at the beginning of the pandemic, he was sitting down in front of a Taco Bell with his uh, iPad trying to get internet service. Um, And a lot of kiddos like this really trying hard, or maybe there's seven people in the home. They're living in a one bedroom trying to, I mean, there's so, again, so many different ramifications. Hang on, Gary wants to come in on this one. I don't know if, if it's the same Taco Bell that you're speaking about, but there was a very infamous story in L.A. County where the cops were called on kids who were trying to use the Internet outside of Taco Bell mm. or similar fast food. It's like it's just everything seems stacked up against these kids. They can't. Yeah, and the, and the states like California claim to be most concerned about those kids and yet in, in induce policies that are disproportionately affecting the at-risk population, which is always the way it is. You got to plan for that because they they always get more of the burden. I, I don't know. I, I I you know we're we're approaching ninety thousand overdose deaths for this year. Uh, suicide is markedly increased, particularly in young females. Uh, I, depression, you know, people self-identifying as depression is what fourfold up. That's in adults, right? Yes, I uh, I actually read in an article, I can't remember right now where it's from, uh, maybe Gary might be able to pull that one up, is it was in Las Vegas. Las Vegas was one of the first schools to, or just, you know, as a as a state to open up. I think they had just, what was it, nine suicides or something like that uh, just this year. Uh, there was a 12-year-old uh, who hung himself due to COVID isolation uh, another friend of mine had shared that she had known a family. They lost two of their sons this year to suicide, adolescent teens. Same topic, right? The, the isolation piece. Um, uh, you know, kids who were a 4.0 and now have over 100 missing assignments. I mean, this list goes on and on and on. And, you know, it, it is it is concerning because when I talk to these, when I talk to these teens and I ask questions. I mean, just this person in particular, who's a friend of mine, she said it was fine to share. You know, she said she called me and they live in a different state. And she was like, I, I don't know what to do, Regine. Like my son used to be in soccer. He used to, he used to do great. I, 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 this is a different kid. I don't know what to do. And it's 120 assignments. No one is helping us. No one emailed us. I mean, yeah. this complete oblivion and parent, there's a lot of parents feeling at that loss. So Oh my God, I hear that from parents all the time. Overwhelmed and lost. Well, you know I love our friends at Public Rec. They make pants that look like slacks but feel like sweatpants. All day, everyday pants. I'm telling you, I've been talking about these guys forever. They're great for lounging. They come in waist and inseam sizing, so they fit all size of men. Women should wear these things, too. They are breathable, stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. You can wear them all day, all every day. They look brand new no matter what. They have zipper pockets that are deep, so nothing ever falls out. And they have pockets behind where you put your wallet deep, and they don't. nothing falls out of there either. Comes in nine different colors, one for each day of the week. I love them all. They, they 
really are. I particularly when I was sick, I lived in these things. Now you can get your whole wardrobe from Public Rack. I wear them all the time. I wear them, like I said, when I'm lounging, when I'm recovering, when I'm out in public. They've got incredibly comfortable shorts, t-shirts, Henleys, polos, hoodies, jackets, even golf gear. Public Rack rarely discounts, but right now they have an exclusive offer just for the Dr. Drew listeners. Go to Public Rec. That's P U B L I C. R-E-C, publicrec.com slash Drew. Use the promo code Dr. Drew and you get 10% off. That's publicrec, R-E-C. Use our promo code Dr. Drew for 10% off. Well, perhaps you've heard me talk about Relief Band before. It's the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and much more. It really does work. The product is 100% drug-free. We're going on a cruise pretty soon, and my wife is going to be wearing it the entire time. It's non-drowsy, provides all-natural relief with zero side effects. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks that signal to your brain, sending your that would normally send that signal to your stomach. They block it so you don't get sick. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago, used in hospitals to relieve nausea, but now through relief band it is available to us all don't believe it works listen to amy talk about her experience i love this product i've gotten motion sick in vehicles since i was in preschool now i'm on the volunteer fire department and always wear it on calls that's right now as the world is opening back up don't let the fear of nausea keep you on the sidelines right now relief band has an exclusive offer for just our dr drew listeners if you go to reliefband.com use promo code drew you'll receive 20 percent off plus free shipping and a no questions ask 30 day money back guarantee so head to reliefband r-e-l-i-e-f-b-a-n-d.com use that promo code drew for 20 percent off plus free shipping well do you know that aging actually begins in our cells many aspects of our daily life can influence how our trillions of cells perform and ultimately how we age Age-associated cellular decline, or AACD, is a time-related deterioration in the way our cells function as we age, beginning in our 40s, accelerating in our 60s. Over time, our cellular processes become less efficient, which can contribute to things like fatigue, reduce muscle strength, impaired cellular defenses. To help address these changes, try incorporating nutrients that work on the cellular level into your wellness routine. Celtriant Cellular Nutrition is a breakthrough of nutritional products with cellular nutrients to target cellular performance. Celtriant is the first brand to provide a range of cellular nutrients, including nicotinamide riboside, urolithin A, glycine, plus N-acetylcysteine. Helps combat key sources of AACD. Visit Celtriant.com for more info. Find out which Celtriant products are right for you. I take I take at least one every day. Use the code DrDrew10 for 10% discount. I did find that info you were talking about. Las Vegas, in the nine months since kids have been uh, doing school from home, they've had 18 suicides yeah. amongst children, the youngest being nine years old. Perfect. Perfect. Well done, state officials. And why we can't hold these people accountable for their choices is too much for me. I guess just get them out. That's all we can do. But they should be. Any other job that killed people like this would be held criminally, or at least civilly accountable. So. So, I mean, this is why we're, you know, we're really trying to 
we're really hoping we want to make a lot of noise with this project and this proposal, you know, the getting this legislation passed, it's long overdue. Um, and well, you know, I, listen, we're talking <laughs> teachers don't want to go back to work. I don't know how we're going to get them to work and <laughs> take on a new profession, which is mental health services. I, I, I just, it worries me. And, and I, and again, we don't have enough social workers. We don't have enough school nurses in most school districts. I, I you know, again, I'm talking about California, Southern California, particularly, I don't know. Well, school, uh, school psychologists, you know, the the ones that you know, I, I meet with them quite quite often. They, it's like one school psychologist for five six schools. They're right. spread very. That's thin, right. right. That's right. They go there once every two weeks. That's cool. And they have, you know, they have eight hundred kids that need services uh, desperately, like uh, acute services. Yeah, and and you know, you you bring up an important point because this is something we were talking about. Is oh my gosh, how are teachers going to receive this mental health training? And we did. We did actually a, a large survey asking teachers, and we were so pleased to see. Oh, good. That. Well, that's good. They, they want the training. They oh, don't good. Think, yeah. Well, that's good. And what? what how? What is that training going to? You know, you're an anxiety. That's one of your areas of expertise. So, is it going to be focused on anxiety and depression, or or just identification of trouble and referral? What What are you going to train them in? Yeah. It's so. It's we are going. It's going to be a, obviously another company. I think right now, mental health first aid does a lot of these trainings. So we're just proposing the idea, and then having already a an, a research to claim program to do this. Um, and it's going to be like a three hour. We're going to start. You know, just we have to start slow. We can't just inundate them. I think you you bring up an important point. They're already overloaded and overworked and scared. As well, yeah. They get a little bit of that psychoeducation, a little bit more than they had before. Slowly, slowly, I'm sure as the years progress, it, we can make it better. Um, but it will pretty much be educating. Ooh, them. I have a, I have a bigger, I have a bigger idea. How about we start to start to bring psychoeducation into the curriculum for the students and the teachers together, because the teachers will know as little as the students do. How about we? One of my sons is getting a master's in psychology. He's like, "Why didn't somebody teach me this? It's so it's so easy. It's so basic. It's a it's so fundamental. Why wasn't this at least in a high school something? It, yeah. It's kind of crazy that we don't teach it." Yes, it's actually that's called. Um, well, here in in our area, we have programs called restorative justice in the public schools. So it's kind of like, have you seen these social emotional learning programs that are integrated as part of the school? So yeah, but school- those are usually. <laughs> Strangely, mindfulness classes and stuff like that, as opposed to psychoeducation. You know, what are the basic psychiatric disorders? What is anxiety? What does it mean? How do you manage it? But, I mean, my God, it would help kids. Yes. Well, normalizing it, I think, because, yeah. kids, you know, when they feel anxious, they're embarrassed. They feel shamed about their diagnosis. They just want to be normal like everyone else. I mean, I think even in puberty, there's so much attention, especially with girls on their development. That now you put on a, a, a you know a mental health stressor on them that they know they're experiencing, uh, and they're feeling ashamed, and they can't go up to the teacher and say, "Hey, I, I'm struggling with this." So it goes back to self esteem, confidence, and empowering kids in the classroom. Um, but teachers have to understand it. I mean, I I've seen this time and time again. Teachers not you know seen incredible teachers understanding it, but some who don't understand what ADHD even looks like in the classroom. Right. Well, I understand. Okay, thanks for letting me know, but they still need to turn these all these things in or they still need to do A, B, and C. Um, but well, I think it's that compassion and empathy that's important. So but what would the what was the sort of um, focus of this training? Is it going to be identification and referral 
or identification and, you know, empathic attunement (laughs) or both? Yeah, so great question. It would be, it would look more like this. It would be some basic education, like you said, of psychoeducation of the top things that we see in a classroom, which are what? We see ADHD, we see anxiety, we see depression, we see um, feelings of, you know, kids who are withdrawn, who are not participating. Um, So whatever the, you know, just really basic kind of first aid, mental health first aid um, symptoms that a teacher can recognize. Now, this is not about teachers calling out the kids in class. This is about them really learning how to communicate effectively with them. And they're not treating, they're not diagnosing, absolutely not, that's out of their scope, but they can make appropriate referrals. And an appropriate referral could even be, hey, you know what, you know, talking to the child or, you know, if there's a school counselor on campus, really making it more collaborative versus shameful. Because I think a lot of teachers too feel um, they don't have that scope of practice and saying, you know, hi, parent, your kid is anxious. I think he or she needs to go see the counselor. That can't happen. That can't happen. Um, So it has to come from a place of comfort. I think when kids feel comfortable with the teacher, I've seen it time and time again, they will open up. Sure. When you create that relationship, your your student will be successful. They will be successful. Um, well, I would yeah. hope, I, I'm just thinking, I, I think then, if that's what we're asking teachers to do, we have to teach how you do that without being overwhelmed by it, you know what I mean? How to maintain boundaries and how to have a therapeutic posture, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I'm not sure. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a whole thing, right? And a lot of teachers probably don't have great boundaries. They're already caretakers and pleasers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, I'll give you a perfect example uh, over Zoom, uh, things that I'm hearing, I'm seeing. Uh, Let's say, you know, you have a kid who's in the classroom and he's, you know, he's being called out. You know, on Zoom, there's something called they kind of ping you on there. And I I don't really like that because it kind of puts the kid on the spot. Uh, Zoom is hard, right? So that's why they have their cameras turned off sometimes where teachers are like, no, turn on your camera so I can see that you're here. And you could hear that, you know, they'll say, I'm stuttering, I'm scared, I feel like I'm put on the spot, I don't like this. Well, have you let your teacher know how you feel? No, no, I'm scared, I don't want to do that. So this piece of I am scared comes from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And why are you scared? Well, because he or she will yell at me or he or she, they make a lot of assumptions that probably haven't happened. So again, it comes back to, I, I go back to the basics, empathy, compassion, and kindness. Now, I know we can't teach that. That, that comes from within, right? Let's be realistic. Uh, right. But at least, you know what? If you're touching thousands of teachers and maybe only a thousand teachers out of a million take something from this, that's a success. Or even if it's two teachers who make a difference in a kid's life. So, you know, the basic training is just to give kind of an overview. And then you survey. Hey, do you guys like this? Yes, it was helpful. Are we seeing improvement? Yes. Uh, a lot of these counselors, you know, one in our districts, I can't, you know, in our district here, they opened a huge counseling center and a lot of students don't walk in. And I say, why aren't you going in? Well, because it's embarrassing because someone's going to see me walk in there. I don't want to walk. That, in there. That's, by the way, has been one of the great advantages of Zoom. It, it's taken away the embarrassment and shame and all that stuff and lowered that threshold. That's good. Absolutely. So, but we have know. to. But I, you know, so to to their to the kids' point, when are we going to start treating mental health services the same as all medical services? 
the medical record, the environment of care, the everything about it should be normalized to a doctor visit. Just like, you know, this business of I can't tell you whether your son's under care with me or not, the HIPAA, blah, 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 that's insanity. And you talk about shaming and stigmatizing. That is how you create that. One, oh my God, you just took it out of thousand percent. Yeah. I agree with you more on that. Um, and if I tell you, that half the time in sessions, that is the core education that happens in helping these kids feel confident and not feel shamed and gain that confidence within themselves. I say, you have to advocate for yourself. No one's going to do it for you. You've got to step up and say, um, but I think the mental health stigma will only come with drilling in, like you suggested, psychoeducation if we normalize this in the schools just like they show videos about you why know, are, why is the brain di- treated differently than the heart or the stomach or the pancreas why no why? reason zero yeah. reason yeah, a, a weird anachronistic history that's the reason i i have a story you'll you will enjoy this story i think i've told on this podcast before uh, gary i think i've told it you tell me if i you don't know this story so i um I got very depressed in college and started having panic attacks. Um, I, the panic attacks were severe enough that I wasn't sure whether it was medical or psychiatric. I just didn't quite sure what was going on, but had a little bit enough insight to go, I think I better go to the mental health services, which at my college, at my college was in the belfry. It was in the clock tower where the, 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 the bats were in the belfry. You, you actually had to go climb into the clock tower to get to the mental health services, which I, I found – even as a 19-year-old, unbelievably hysterical and ironic. Uh, I went and they went, oh, yeah, panic attack, but you're severe. So let's go down to the medical services, which were completely the other side of the campus, uh, and make sure there's not a medical problem. You know, you know all the, this is always this is a good story for everybody because don't assume psychiatric symptoms are purely psychiatric. There can be medical – contributing medical problems or causative or just it all can be medical. You got to get that ruled out first. And maybe we can get you with the the only anti-anxiety medication at that time in 1977, I guess it was, was Valium. So maybe the doctor will give you some Valium. You can get you can actually go to sleep. So I go down there, and of course the the um, there's no such thing as adolescent health services at that point. That, that that discipline did not exist. And the doctor for the campus was a retired physician that sort of dedicated some retirement time down on health services and would sit on the sideline during the football games and things like that. I mean, this is the level of care that was going on for young people at the time. And he looked at me and went, he literally went, you need to get your shit together. Take long walks in the woods. What's wrong with you? I'm like, he was disdainful and dismissive. And he goes, the psychologist says you should get it. I'll write the Valium, but you just got to get it together. And I was like, huh, I would. Happily, I would, I would, I would, if all I had to do was walk in the woods and I'd be better. Oh my God, I'm, I'm in, but I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and so it actually, th- that experience, I think, was one of the reasons I, A, got interested in mental health and B, got interested in adolescent health earlier in my career because I didn't want anybody else to go through that. And I realized that adolescents have sort of a unique set of uh, needs that no one was paying attention to. They were either going to the pediatrician, who, who were busy with babies and did not have time for the adolescents, or guys like this who had no fucking idea what he was doing. Uh, and I, it, it stayed with me to this day. But the reason I tell you is anxiety is one of your areas of interest and expertise. So 
think about how far we've come since those days. <laughs> Can I tell you something that I still hear? I still hear that. No stories like that it's, being dismissive and walk, take walks in the woods. Yeah, uh, you'll be fine. You'll get over this. Oh you know? yeah. Well, the parents, but I understand with parents because because that's denial. They don't want their kid to be sick. I, I get that. And so I and they may not have psychoeducation because nobody does. And this, but these are medical providers for Christ's sake doing that. Yeah, I don't think I've heard a medical provider. Yeah, before. yeah no, but I, I do hear it. You know, a lot of kids will complain of hearing that from parents, or you know. And I think a lot of times it's what you said. I think it's not that they don't want to accept it. It's it's denial and lack of education and understanding what it is. Oh, everyone's anxious. Everyone yeah. has. Yeah, when I was a kid, when I was an adolescent, of course, which is true, which is true. And there's a there's a episode there's a threshold whereby it is clinically relevant. So so to, let's talk, let's back away from kids for a second per se and talk about anxiety more generally. How did you get interested in anxiety? What what's your sort of favorite way of um, constructing your understanding of what anxiety is and treatments? Yeah. So you know I, I was trained at Children's and Children's Hospital, and I've been in practice what has it been now fifteen years now and. I do, one of the primary areas for me that struck me and anxiety was just a call for me was when I saw at the time, just, you know, very similar stories is how kids did not feel heard or didn't feel listened to. And I felt it was so basic because when I would talk about anxiety, you know, just, you know, even before my training, to me, anxiety, you know, it's important, right? I think it's that rush feel that we all need to have. We don't want to dismiss how the importance of anxiety and how it gets us to do things and move forward. But I explain to people often when that anxiety becomes so intense where you can't function and, you know, it's like the buzzing bee story that I have in my book. When you feel like these buzzing bees just all over and they kind of take, take over your brain and you just can't function anymore because you get so immersed into that thought or um, that anxious feeling, that's when it becomes problematic. And when I noticed that all it took, honestly, is pure active listening and kids, you know, when I was working with kids at Children's, it was really just basic things is getting them through a surgery, talking them through, you would see kids maybe panicking or fearful of going into a surgery or, or panicking about a diagnosis, uh, what would happen? I mean, it's a scary thing to see. And, you know, it was so beautiful just to see, you know, the, the through play and how you, you could see the anxiety just lower itself or just sitting with them. I can't tell you how many times I would just be sitting there with, with a child and they would just be panicking. And this is at the beginning of my training where I was like, imagine, I, I, I felt panicky at a moment is how are we going to calm this child? Um, but really, it was just a, an innate desire. I don't want to say it was just one thing in particular. But the one thing that I just remember is, you know, working there and just experiencing that and knowing that I could help. And I, and I did have a case where I could see, you know, the child just feeling so much better. Um, and then I did my training at Glenn Roberts Child Study Center under uh, Dr. Roberts, if you've heard of him, he he wrote, you know, he's the famous guy who did the Roberts Apperception Test. Oh, yeah. um, so I got trained because I'm trained in psychological assessments as well. And um, he was really big on anxiety and, you know, just the passion just continued developing and I just fell into it. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think I'm hearing you, you, you know, correct me if I'm not I'm misrepresenting this or getting it inaccurately, but that the fundamental intervention is 
uh, a second brain, two skulls relating, uh, in such a way as the symptomatic brain develops the capacity for affect regulation. Would that be about right? Right, yes. Yeah. I- so, so to me, that is the, one of the fundamental problems of our time, which is that we don't develop the capacity to be in a frame of closeness with other people that's, that's threatening or traumatizing or haven't had enough of it or I'm fearful of abandonment if you get there. And so the frame in which the human brain develops the capacity for affect regulation has been um, marginalized or, or blown up, just completely disrupted. Uh, that that is that's where all my patients are from. Uh, you know, the people that develop drug addiction are all from. They're all dysregulated, and they're primarily dysregulated because they were traumatized. And once they were traumatized, they exit the frame of closeness and empathic attunement that allows for affect regulation to develop. Uh, and I just see it. You know, that's my patients, but they're everywhere. That's a problem. It seems to me to the point where. I'm not sure parents could because they didn't get enough of it that they really even know how to do it, how to really attune adequately for a long enough period of time for a brain to develop. Yeah. And what about the, you know, as you're talking about this, something else came to my mind were devices. This generation, Gen right. Z and generation right. prior to that is the impulse, the lack of impulse control and yep. impulsivity that well and then the parents are substituting the actual attunement for the the, stick the device in instead of the attunement i guess my generation we put them in front of the tv that was our version of that and then the now the version is the screen right so there is no you know half the time when you talk to a kid or a teen or even an adult who's going through a panic attack or who's experiencing high levels of anxiety in that moment uh you know if you ask most of the time they'll say I don't want you to touch me. I don't want you to touch. You could just, just sit there next to me. Mm. I just want your bodily presence. Yeah. Um, and what they, you know, it goes back to what you were saying is just having that physical presence there so that they don't feel abandoned. They don't feel alone and also giving them control because anxiety is all about control. So, you know, I will often tell parents or even adults at that moment, you know, you have to have a plan in place on, you know, who you feel you, you want to reach out to or what you want to do so that, the panic doesn't intensify. So there was, there's another layer for me in terms of resolving the anxiety that you're talking about managing anxiety. No, but I'm kind of, I was interested in resolving it for myself. And for me, I had to get better connected to my primary emotional landscape. It, it's as though the sort of weak connection between primary emotions and second order representations in my mind was not there. Uh, and so emotions were threatening and distant and unregulated. And that was, for me, the source of my anxiety, I would say. Is that common? Do you see much of that? I, I like how you say the disconnect because that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. So even when you go back to kids in drawings or even when adults do drawings, it's amazing how I, I often teach with um, in, in my practice, which is more CBT focused, is really helping them identify the emotion. Well, guess what? 90% of the time, I'm not kidding. They cannot identify an emotion. What's an emotion? I'm feeling. Well, you must, have had, you must have had good parenting because when I started therapy, that was my challenge. I'd have to start every session with, okay, okay, okay. I'm feeling. And for a year, I could almost do nothing. I could just go, I'm, what am I feeling? I'm anxious <laughs> that's about it <laughs> and then feelings started coming forth in the safety of the frame 
the, the therapeutic yeah. frame. And that's the dichotomy you're describing, yeah. primary and secondary. Yeah. So yeah. it's that learning how to express that. So what do we do? I mean, for new parents coming in, right? Yeah. This generation is talk about emotions. It's so, so important. What are emotions parents ask? Well, ask them how they're doing. Don't just say, okay, if the kid just says, oh, I'm fine. I don't want to talk right now. Okay. I'll come back and check in with you later. Uh, When I say emotions, I have an exercise I do in my practice with all, I mean, I see all ages, right? So even with my adults, they love this exercise. So I say, grab a post-it here. I have a post-it here. Grab a post-it, a bunch of post-its, put in a box with a pen And there's a stress sheet I use, and it has all various forms of emotions. It says frustrated, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling, uh, you know, then it goes into physical symptoms, etc. And I say every night before you go to bed or whenever you want to do it, because if I tell them to do it at a certain time, they're most likely not going to do it. So it's all about giving them control. So before you go to bed or in the morning or whenever you want, use that sheet of paper and uh, jot down an emotion you feel, write down on the post-it, I feel frustrated and why I feel frustrated, crumple it up, put in the box. By the time we meet the next time, guess how many papers will be in that box most of the time? I can't guess. Sometimes we'll have 50, sometimes none, sometimes none. I always uh, share that place. What I'm trying to do is exactly what you're saying is bridging the primary and secondary uh, that, that concept and yeah. emotion and bringing it together so that they learn because they're not being taught how right. to share emotions. Well, and, and or identify them. And that, I think that's the more challenging part because once you can identify them, it becomes easier to share it. And and let's let's keep going with the psychoeducational as long as you, we both think that's important. Um, let's uh, do we differentiate because words get thrown around. I want to make sure there's no confusion about this. Feelings from emotions. Do we differentiate those two sta- things or or should we just call them both essentially the same? We can call them right the yeah. same. Hey everybody, you've heard me talk to Dr. Noel Reed, board certified family medicine physician and consulting physician for cell treatment, cellular nutrition. This is all stuff I'm actually rather interested in, which is preventing or delaying or improving the aging process. And that is what Celtrian is about. I, we, she and I have talked about the aesthetic issues that, you know, we all worry about. And, but uh, that is all just a reflection of what's going on in our cells. It's the cells that become senescent and age. And today we're going to talk about Celtrian energy. Right, Dr. Reed? That's correct. And thanks for having me back, Dr. Reed. You bet. So, Energy. We all need it, right? <laughs> We're all looking for I need more. a lot. I need more now. <laughs> I know. I wish I could just add more hours a day so I get more done. But, you know, as we get older, our energy levels start to decline. Um, it's almost inevitable. And, you know, oftentimes we attribute it to things like busy schedule. You know, as I'm sure you and I both have busy mm-hmm. schedules and lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. So all of those things um, do compound. But, the, the decrease in energy could also be related to what's happening inside our cells. So there is an important molecule known as NAD. I think mm-hmm. you talked about this before, Dr. Yes, uh, NAD, the, the literature on NAD, the attention to NAD, the therapeutics around NAD have been revolutionary in the last couple of years. So I'm glad that Celtrian has a product for this. And yes. by the way, the product – and by the way, this product is one I just happen to like and take. Very good. So NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. 
big word people don't probably care about, but that's that's what NAD stands for. And it's actually found in all living cells. The reason that it's important, it plays a critical role in cell energy production. And it's also important for healthy mitochondrial function and cellular repair. Now, the thing is, as we get older, NAD declines and it can decline by as much as 50% by the time we get to our 40s. So between 40s and, and our 40s and 60s, NAD declines significantly. And so we need NAD to allow for cellular energy to produce, right? So we, for, for cellular energy production, um, we need the NAD at optimal levels because when that is not available, that may make us feel tired and our cells that are not producing optimal levels of energy. I think that sometimes, um, you know, we try to find quick fixes for energy, right? So getting those quick power naps, drinking caffeine, a lot of us drinking caffeine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are only giving us quick fixes. It's, there's no long-term benefit and it has no impact on NAD levels. And so that is why using cellular um, nutrients such as nicotinamide riboside, which is actually a B3 derivative, so a special form of niacin, can be helpful as a precursor for NAD. When it's supplemented, it helps to boost NAD, which then helps to renew our cell's ability to really transform the food that we eat into an energy source that the cell can use. And in fact, studies have shown that nicotinamide riboside can increase NAD levels in as soon as two weeks after supplementing. Yeah, and NR is a game changer. And there's a ton of literature out there on that. And it's really one of the only ways to get uh, NAD levels up orally exactly exactly um and you hit the nail on the head again there so nicotinamide riboside as a unique form of uh niacin it's not readily available from our diet you mm-hmm. know we maybe can get trace amounts from cow's milk um but you would have to consume an, ex- an extensive amount of cow's milk to get a very small amount uh, of nr and um, really not at a level that the clinical trials have shown uh would be necessary to actually have an impact on mitochondrial function so doing a supplement is really the better way to go. And, and there's real good evidence that NAD, it, as you mentioned, it does decline over our time here on the planet as we age, but it may be the key mediator of aging too. Maybe. Um, you know, th- this is really a game changer. Yep, um, nutrition is definitely um, an excellent tool to have in your toolbox because, you know, our Proper nutrition and exercise, we know, you know, that's the foundation of things right. in terms of having to age with grace. Yes. But um, having this extra tool, I think, is what will allow for us to really do better in terms of how we age and um, really experience the aging process a little bit easier, I think. Thank you, Dr. Reed. And if you'd like to find more information about the Celtriant products, visit Celtriant.com. And take a short quiz under the Find Your Celtrian tab to discover which Celtrian product fits your needs. And use that code DrDrew10 at checkout, and you will get a 10% discount. Again, it is Celtrian, C-E-L-L-T-R-I-E-N-T dot com, code DrDrew10 at checkout. Well, you've heard me talk about BetterHelp and how happy with them I've been. I, I'm pretty discriminating, and yet I've sent family, friends, patients, and BetterHelp has responded with quality care. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. And uh, listen, if you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Of course, it means no waiting around, no no uncomfortable waiting rooms, that sort of thing. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeking 
therapy and finding out what therapy is really about. May or may not be for you, but it's worth looking into because you are your greatest asset. Again, it is a lowering of threshold to get access to mental health services, and these are good mental health services. Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash drew. Again, that is better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P dot com slash drew. Because feelings, sometimes people will say feelings are generated from the body, that they really, their, their core source is bodily based, and emotions are more what we express, anger, disdain, whatever it is. So there's some, I think there's some subtle difference, but they are very, very similar. You could, you could easily call them the same thing, because the emotions, even if it's disdain, let's say it's disgust. Disgust really is coming out of our body. It's a feeling. You know what I mean? Even though it kind of gets expressed, it, it's, it's a feeling. So, yeah, that's um, – it's so interesting to me and I think this country has marginalized feelings especially uh, because we've marginalized relationships, you know, mm-hmm. in the name of success and work and, you know, all the stuff we value as Americans. Relationships became a second consideration or maybe third or fourth. Yeah, and even, even – you, you mentioned that and even when you look at uh, companies, right, just in general and and you, you know – Often, sometimes I'll, I'll go in and I'll do like some just uh, some brief seminars or whatever it is. And the first thing I start with is communication at the top of leadership, right? So how do you, how are you communicating with the people around you? And, um, you know, again, you go back to, we're training these kiddos or these kids because they are the future. We're treating, they are the future leaders in reality. Uh, but it all starts at the top. And, and a lot of the times, you know, executive etc. will say, well, I was never taught how to communicate that emotion, right? So they, then they're not able to lead effectively or how to create change. And then you notice decreased productivity. Or you give, notice give me an example of, of, of that. Give me the, make that real for me. I don't quite get it. Like okay. what emotion? So, like anger or, or inspiration? Or what? Yes. Well, passive aggressive behavior. Uh, so splitting. Splitting behavior. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, employee didn't complete this correctly boss gets really upset, but yeah. doesn't really express why he's upset. And so now you have this <laughs> ongoing uh, spinning for the employee and, and then it expresses itself from, from the other end as aggression and being upset. So again, it goes back to the primal emotions and expressing how we feel and how we can make things better. So I, I am seeing an improvement. I think that's what we have to really focus on in the, with this generation more than ever as they are so exposed to devices and um, they just lose that contact. The connection. So yeah, it's back to the connection issue, which which is people don't understand that a lot of communication between humans is non-conscious, bodily based. You know, I mean, pff, there's a lot of stuff going on that we're not aware of. Speaking of which, uh, I was worried at the beginning of this pandemic that Zoom would be completely inadequate because of that. But it turned out not to be. It, 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 like we've already discussed, it lowered the threshold for admission. You know, people were more likely to go, and and there was a lot of good came out of it. But you tell me your experience. My experience was that it didn't sustain. Like it can only go so far, <laughs> and then people kind of it, it doesn't have the same stickiness of uh, in the flesh meetings. And after about six months, people started drifting out. You, you tell me. Yes, I, I'm definitely seeing that. I'm actually seeing a lot of burnout right now. Burnout yeah. and fatigue. 
people are tired. Yeah. Um, I, I say this at every session. I know this is not like in person and you feel it there. There's something about being in person. You have that connection. Mm. Um, I'm doing assessments in person and I am seeing that very differently than being on zoom and, mm. Um, people say that they'll, they're like, wow, this feels so great. And I, you see that in instant connection. Uh, it's very hard to retain. Uh, I think clients online, it's hard week to week. Um, I think you have to be very animated. You have to be loud. You have to have, well, and, and you're doing CBT, which is sort of lends itself at least for a while to that. But, but like, you know, all the research shows ultimately it's empathic attunement that is determining the success of the therapeutics, no matter what the therapeutics are. But but CBT does kind of lend itself to Zoom for a while, at least. Yes, I've you know I've been I've it's I've been fortunate. I want to say um, that it's been working out for me. The Frankie and the Worry Bees was was literally born out of Zoom. I don't know how else to say it because I started with these little illustrations and ideas just to connect them because I knew that if I don't use tangible paper and writing and getting them engaged, like you would in class, you're going to lose them because you know, they're, they'll go on their phone yeah. or disconnect. Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to stay even focused here. It's hard. It's, it's not easy. So um, I think again, depending on what type of, again, therapy technique you are using, uh, it's certainly challenging in itself. And uh, that's another question. When are psychologists, psychiatrists are going to feel comfortable uh, going back in person without a mask, right? Yeah. Um, and this is something I'm even pondering. Are our clients going to feel our patients comfortable that you're vaccinated? And can you wear a mask all day long? I mean, it's different than a physician. I feel working in the ER all day because they're just running around. But us, we're sitting down, we're talking for hours and hours. Oh, no, on it. no, not only that. Part of the... Um, subconscious or beneath conscious communications are really on the face. Yeah. With the, with the, it's the tiny muscles in the face are what communicate so much to our right brain. I, I, again, I was acutely aware of that as a patient. I was acutely aware of it as a practitioner that, that, that is a ton of what goes on. Yes. Yeah. And that's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. My, my entire floor, our psychologist, no one's there. Still today, today. Well, Fauci just came out today, I think, and said that uh, he thinks it will protect the vaccine will protect against transmission. So, yeah. if we can get a little more of that out there, I think uh, I think maybe we'll get to where we need to be. Because I, I don't know of any yeah. other infectious disease on Earth that you can transmit after you've been vaccinated without being infected by it. So it's like, come on now. So you know this the, the exceptionalism of this illness has, uh, I guess, you know. The, the serious widespread nature of it makes us have to be certain on everything we proclaim, but okay. So anyway, um, look, it's been a pleasure. I, I'm you're, you're the, the emotion I'm feeling right now is frustration because it, I just went right back to, Oh my God, schools, school closure, the, the impact, I get overwhelmed and frustrated when I think about the impact of all this. I think when we look back on this pandemic, the most serious misadventure of the entire pandemic will be, have been school closures particularly grammar school closures. Uh, and, yeah. and, and then if you want to if you want to say, well, they didn't know and they had to do something, okay, then why the delay in the reopening? That's the, then that's the most serious, egregious misadventure in this entire thing, adding insult to injury in these, in these kids. And maybe 
you know, maybe some much like my own misadventure at my college, you know, where I was treated like shit by the medical system. Maybe this will result in some sort of inspiration by this population. Uh, you know, the young people will come forward with some new, I don't know, way of uh, fighting bureaucratic nonsense or being creative or who knows. Maybe something good can come out of it. But not if we don't pay attention to the mental health because a lot of people are going to get seriously hurt. Yeah, and that's why we have to we we have to focus. You know, that's why we start with the teachers first. Let's start with the teachers, and then you trickle down, and then do this as a class. I mean, I've been talking about this for for years now. I mean, you need to have a a uh, just a stress reliever class incorporated in the curriculum um, for kids just to learn about what stress is and 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 go through like you know like like you said. Psycho, like, we got to have psychoeducation as part of the curriculum for schools. Critical. I mean, we put sex education in there. Why can't we put mental health education? For God's sakes, we've done that and we've made that so oh, you have to do that. I'm not so sure <laughs> that was as important as what we're talking about, which is just basically how your brain works, just basic, yes. basic health. And normalizing it above all, like you said, and getting rid of that shame like you felt, like you felt shamed by that doctor. Yeah, that. I, I – I was more confused than shame. I'm not super shame based. Well, I guess I have a fair bit of that, but I'm not shamed about. I, I am super clear that my brain and my big toe are just body parts, you know. So I, I've never had any issue having mental health issues. It, I don't, you know, I'll talk about them as freely as anything else. I, I don't understand hiding anything about what your your human experience is. Of body, brain, emotions, whatever it might be, relationships. Uh, so I'm happy to talk about my COVID experience. I'm also happy to talk about my my uh, anxiety disorder and depression and my OCD and whatever else I'm suffering from. What's that? Well, I love that, and I think that's so important. This is what you know. This is what we need to do. This is you know my my daughter has anxiety. We talk about it. She always tells me share share my story. Um, and you know, it's important because I think, you know, even from her perspective, she feels, she feels a lot of the times I'm, I'm embarrassed or no one understands me. And there's so many kids that feel that way. Um, and you know, and I, and I think it comes back to us as parents and educators and normalizing that it's okay. It's all right. We're going to work through it. Don't worry. We're going to figure this out together. Exactly. That's all you want to hear. And even as adults, like yeah. I can see you're going through this right now. I'll check back in with you. Yeah. Uh, that's validation right there. So, um, yeah, that's awesome that you're – I think that's important. It starts with people like yourself and and, and us as providers just being transparent about yeah, we, we got to change the laws around the medical record and stuff. The, the psychiatric, psychological medical records are treated like <gasps> – you know, it's like, no, no, no. It's a medical record, period, like all medical records. Let me ask a question. You, you've you spent most of your life here in Southern California. Did you grow up here? No, well, I actually uh, grew up in France. Oh, interesting. Because you, the word important came out of your mouth in a non-Southern California way. And I thought, uh, it's something different. Oh, yes, no, I grew up in France. Um, I, I went from kinder to 12th grade in a French school. Uh, came here when I was 19. Wow. Where in France? Uh, Monaco. Oh, interesting. Are your parents from Monaco? Are they Mon? Monaco? Originally, uh, you know, no, they're not Monegasque. Uh, they're originally Romanian, and uh, but their job. My dad was a physician, uh, retired now. So he used to travel a lot with his job. My mom as well. So that's where it brought us here to Southern California. 
And um, yeah. Très, très bien. Alors, je parle français. Oui, un peu. <laughs> moi, moi aussi un peu. Uh, but the um, Romanians are very bright. There's two, there's two uh, nationalities that I've noticed with a lot of intellectual horsepower, Hungarian and Romanian. Lots of intellectual horsepower, huge, huge horsepower, genetically, for whatever reason. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Most are engineers, I say. You know, you go to Romania, you, you, you find out that most are engineers. Or Yeah, yeah, a lot of horsepower, right? So anyway, yeah. and, and the Hungarians, it's mathematic sort of stuff. So, yeah. Okay, well, listen, it's been a privilege to talk to you. I hope you'll stay in touch, and if I can help you with your your project, uh, anyway, I'm delighted to. And uh, let's keep pushing forward with the idea of – Teaching psychoeducation that just seems axiomatic to me that that should be part of the the part of education you know and, and it's easy it's easy for kids. We add that in there, psychoeducation mandated. Yeah, right. Please. So yeah. Re- reginemaradian.com is where you go, and uh, also get the books Frankie and the Worry Bees, Frankie and his homeschool adventures. Where do you practice in case people want to look you I up? Am- Glendale, California. Okay, Glendale. And uh, is that through your website? Would people want to make appointments? Okay. Yes, through our website, yes. Very good. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You bet. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.